0: Welcome to another episode of the Alternative London Podcast with me, Gary Means. Today I took a trip up to Dalston to visit Greg Key and Lara Fiorentino at their gallery Basement space. Over the past few years, Basement has emerged as one of the top urban art galleries in the UK and they exhibit many of the world's leading street artists. Now, They've become well known for producing some really memorable shows, including some groundbreaking livestream exhibitions. So we talk about their work and themselves as two South Africans who met in London and forged an incredible business and life partnership here. So here it is, the Alternative London podcast with Basement Space Gallery. Oh, that's real good. So, here we go. How's it going, guys? Hello, hello. Hey Gary. Yes, welcome to
1: Basement Space.
0: Oh, man, this is, um, this is amazing. This is the first for me to be doing a kind of off-site recording. And um, it's a beautiful sunny day out your massive window. And inside here, I'm just, like, looking at some of my favourite artists. So I've got, like, right in front of me, I've got, like, Mighty Moe and Sweet Tooth, I've got Cranio, I've got uh, Pez and Perspicere, who's, like, absolutely smashing it right now. So it's, like, yeah, amazing environment to be in on a beautiful Thursday morning. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, you're most welcome.
0: And it's also the first um, three-way that we've done as well. Every every other time's been, like, just me and one other person. So it's nice breaking to... Breaking
1: boundaries <laughs> already. Breaking
0: boundaries, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's no offence. I didn't want each of you to do it, like, individually, but basement spaces, it's kind of... It is you guys, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it is very much. It can't be separated. You know, we, we often call the gallery our first child um, yes. because... It's been like that. It's been with it, this partnership. Um, it was also the beginning of our, our relationship as well. The beginning of the gallery. It's all um, it's all like one big huge family. Yeah. You know, and it can't be split. We have different roles in the gallery, different strengths, different weaknesses. But it's way beyond. Uh, yeah. It's a lifestyle. You know. It's who we are. Really.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a lifestyle, and it's also—I um, mean, this podcast is basically East London culture, creativity, and community. And I was thinking about that as we were coming in, and you've obviously got like the creativity and the culture, but you've built a community here as well, haven't you? So, how did how did the whole kind of project come about? So, I think uh, basement space started. It's a long story. <laughs> um,
2: so, way back when, before the gallery started my kind of introduction into the art scene. I've always run restaurants. My whole life has been running restaurants. Okay. And um, I was disenfranchised with Facebook and I was trying to think, I need to find a new medium, for either Instagram or Twitter, you know, before getting at the, the beginning of the curve. You know? And so I picked on um, Instagram and then I was like, what am I taking photographs of? I'm not really a selfie kind of person. And I'd moved, I'd always worked in the West End and then suddenly I was working in the East End in a restaurant and there was street art around. Yeah. So I started taking pictures of the street art and putting it on my Instagram. And then D7606, he started to identify the artists for me. So then Eddie piqued my interest even more. Then I would go and I would find where these, where these artists were painting. And... Go and just, like, assist and and hang out with them. And then kind of ingratiated. Then I started to do the same for other people. I would start to identify Mm -hmm. the artists on their Instagrams. And so I kind of started to get accepted in the artist community. And then myself and Lara met. And then Lara was... Laura had a uh, well, I was moving. You know, Laura, you were transitory at, at the time, looking for a a new space to live. And, and Laura found this the old basement space. Yes. And fell in love with it. It was an absolute shithole before she found it, and she made an amazing space out of it. And
0: how did that space just sort of come about? What, what I think I, that? I
1: think I willed it into <laughs> into being. Um, yeah. I was searching for. Workshop spaces or bigger spaces. I didn't really know and I found this place. It was um, Marketed as a workshop space, but the location was just Amazing smack in Dalston on Kingsland Road, and I I really couldn't believe it. I asked them Okay, can what can I do in here? They said well, what do you want to do and I said well, maybe (laughs) (laughs) Open an art gallery um, maybe we could do workshops here. And he said, cool, do what you want. You know, it was, it was really a little bit fly by night. I went past the, the agency that kind of connected me with, with, with that space, which I only subsequently realized was um, part of the old peanut factory. And it brought back so many memories. You know, I signed this lease, I handed over the money. Um, and um, once I had the space, I went back to Greg and I said, oh my gosh, found this amazing space. I really want to start the gallery there, but I want it to be something um, really impactful and really vibrant um, and something that will really bring energy and people to the space immediately um, because the way that we launched it was really important. And I said, do you want to help me co-curate the first exhibition? And Greg was, being the first time he did it, he was a little bit in two minds. He went away and had a a think and I think once he had started to put the proposition forward to a couple of artists and they all expressed um, interest yeah, in wanting to be part of it. It was
2: that night that there was a um, a battle, I think at Dragon bar somewhere in yeah, the match, yeah. kick, ball, kick, yes, it was there was a battle. And then
0: yes. um, when we signed up like 30 people on that, yeah. on that night. You know, it was a... Okay, for any listeners, we're not talking about like an actual battle. No, it is no, she, no, yes, it's no. <laughs> just a, a, a drawing a battle. Drawing, <laughs> <Yeah>. was, <it? laughs> was that like a, a secret s- Wars thing or something? Something like similar yeah, to yeah, something something like that. Something okay,
1: It was yeah. run by Seeds, wasn't it? Yes. yes. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. Way back when. I mean Seeds was really onto something then, you know he did. Um if you think about a Drips and Runs, which was a live streaming yeah. of artist painting way before COVID, you know. Um uh, yeah, I think it was it was before his time with that concept yeah um, it was a really magical time i think in street art in london there was a lot of painting it was happening down in Shoreditch and brick lane um there were groups of people that were painting together it was really vibrant um like 2015 i think it was yes yeah, yeah around 2015
0: that was a kind of, um, I mean, it's easy to look back on times with rose-tinted glasses and, yeah. and stuff, but that was, I think, one of the golden eras, for sure, of, yeah. of street art in London.
1: Yes. I think there were, There were maybe there were some that were before our time, um, like the 2010, 2011, um, mm-hmm. when Burning Candy was really active around East London and it still had that really kind of clandestine, clandestine-edgy element to it. Um, but this this period was kind of a new wave of street art, um, and people who are actually from that time are quite uh, far along in their careers now. you know fornacopan was he was painting and he was really good, and everybody could see that he was going places and he's really, really um, come so far as an artist yeah it's massively impressive what he does now, and this i mean this was it it, it was also how we started representing this kind of new generation of street art. So we, we still work with emerging artists now. And that's the thread that we, we always try to loop back into the gallery. So people who are still practicing and painting on the streets. And then we, we've been working with um, more well-established artists as well, as you mentioned at the beginning. Um, but I think that that's what, what really brings the diversity to the gallery and the authenticity, which is really important, I think, to what it is that we do here, you know. Um, so, like, Per Spassier, as you mentioned, he's... He's... Recently, his his career is really taking off. His work is remarkable. He's putting loads of work up on the streets. You know, it's, it's kind of...
0: And he works you know, here as well, doesn't he?
1: Yes, he does, yes. Yeah. It's 100% part of the...
0: Amazing job, part, yeah, part of the family.
1: The gathering yeah. family, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that basement was... It, it, it was it was such a crazy little place nobody wanted to commit to going down that single door but once they did they loved it down there you know it, it was like being part of a secret club and we had some really amazing opening nights where we I mean we had to clear people out sometimes I went well on into the early hours of the morning yeah it was it was a scene you know yeah. um, and we were sad to leave it because it's kind of the origin story you know we were urban art underground, or underground art underground, it was quite literal. But we needed, um, we needed to grow as a gallery and um, the new space, I think, is different, but it suits us, um, it's allowed us obviously more visibility and we're evolving, you know, you have to, I think you always have to evolve as a business mm-hmm. or as a person, you have to keep growing, you know, when you stop, you stagnate and you start to lose focus. You know why? What you know? Why is it that you're doing what you're doing? So we never stop here. You know, pushing <laughs> and wanting to go. <laughs> no,
2: yeah. we never stop working.
0: Yeah. No, you don't. You
1: work yeah. really hard. And
0: um, I think at the same time when um, we had our gallery, Unit Five, I think it was a similar time that you guys started. And for me, yeah. it was kind of a bit of a side project and everything else that we were doing because we had a space that was too big and we wanted to figure out ways to use that and sort of having connection with the artists. That was a, a kind of a, a natural thing to move into. But um, it's not something that you can just do on the side. It's not something that you can do part-time. And you guys have really um, worked hard to establish this. At, like I was saying, it's a community, but it's a business as well. And that's something that like, you have to work really, really hard in this art world to succeed in really, don't you?
2: Yes. I mean, we, when we started, we were both having to do it on the side because we both had full-time jobs as yeah. well. Uh, I was still working in the restaurant full-time. Laura was still working full-time doing her her decorating. And so it was <laughs> very crazy times over there. Only when we moved into this building did I stop working in the restaurants.
0: Right, I didn't realise that. Yeah. Yeah, and this building, this space, it kind of, um, like you say, is a transition, isn't it? Like it's come out of the basement and it does feel much more like a kind of like, more like a, a gallery. A grown-up space. It, yeah. yeah, a grown-up <laughs> space. Yeah, that's exactly it. But yeah. it hasn't lost the the feel of what you had before because um, you've obviously brought the artists with you. You've brought, yeah. the, you've brought the community with you. And when you have an opening, you guys have an opening, don't you? I love the fact that you, um, you bring in DJs. Like, it was unfortunate the other week that you didn't have DJ food because yeah, you had COVID. Yeah, yeah. But having, like... know half of the herbalizer turn up and dj and open and that's like it's an amazing thing isn't it so um you've got the beers you've got the bar you've got the so so like you said it is it is like a night out for people
1: yes i mean i I think people come here they come here to hang out to connect There's amazing relationships that are forged out of the opening opening nights at the gallery um it's really difficult i mean we don't have like this really straightforward opening from six to nine People are still always here until 11. Um, and I, I, I mean, I really think it's the magic, you know. It's it's the magic of what happens at the space in the opening. And yes, the artists have come here, but there's new people that are coming. It's it's definitely growing and expanding the gallery.
2: Um, people know that they're going to come and they're going to meet interesting people. Because there's always yeah. interesting cats that come. And it's been amazing to watch the community, like from our old basement days to where... It was people that were photographers on the scene that have now become street artists. And I I kind of feel that being in that environment, that they've met people, that they've become comfortable in what they're doing, and now they're fully fledged on the streets.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was one of the biggest challenges I found about um, the pandemic with the gallery, because I know that a lot of galleries were very successful with virtual walkthroughs, and they did um, openings It was strictly kind of uh, online viewing rooms and we never really fully went down that avenue we did 3D walkthroughs of the exhibitions that we did during um, the pandemic but we never had a show that had strictly open and closed with not a person viewing it or being able to view it in person and for me it just when i when i saw those walkthroughs it was great it was great to see wow this is the interior of a gallery and America and something that I had never seen before, but I felt this emptiness and this hollowness and it, it, it made the absurdity um, of the Pandemic and, the, and, and the, the foreign feelings that you felt it made them even more acute because it was empty and I realized that that's what we loved so much about the gallery is the people that come and see the arts, you know And that, I mean that's really what led us to choose Continuing to have an in-person gallery and not just an online site where you're trying to sell art and introduce artists and um, You know, that's the that's the way we operate and There's no face, there's no person and there's no kind of in-person experience at the gallery, you know we, we thought long and hard about this before we moved to the new space and we realised that 50% of what we do here is that community and is is that coming to the gallery and feeling the vibe and and that can't be recreated just strictly online
0: but you did yeah. do some amazing stuff online though i mean it can't be recreated but um just i'm, I'm looking at a skateboard here painted by mighty mo and that yeah. just right behind yeah, you and yeah, that just kind yeah. of brought that up that you did that uh that live stream where mighty mo came and painted the whole gallery yeah and you had groove rider dj yes, and yes. for me like just sitting at home like being able to watch that when you know like you, you've done everything to death like you've completed netflix you've like done (laughs) all your stuff (laughs) like and just to have something like that pop up was like it was such a great concept and it was so like needed at that time i think for a lot of people so you did some great stuff and you survived the pandemic as well and um for for an in-person business to have kind of got through that um in the way that you did is like really admirable i think
1: yeah i mean I i think there's as, as it has everyone, we've emerged completely different people in a completely different gallery and space. And if I look at it, it's stronger, you know, even more resolute about what it is that we want to do. Um, because once something like that happens and you, you really have to dig deep to find the motivation to want to carry on um, and not give up with, with the future being so unknown. And I think, you know, we, what I find interesting now is how we've, like, reverted so comfortably back to like the in-person events and everybody's and and you know a year ago that was completely taken away from us you know and and how you know but what i do now is I, i i try to look you know from an outsider's point of view and go look at this like soak it in because and appreciate this you know and i think that we've emerged with you know a bigger sense of gratitude um for being able to do this and for the possibilities that we have in the future. But that's, um, that live stream of Mighty Monkey was amazing, wasn't it? <laughs> like, <laughs>
2: epic. Absolutely epic. Yeah. It was, wasn't it?
1: We, I think it, the, because the December lockdown was... Or November. It was, it was November. It was, it was announced <coughs> It was like October, November.
2: On, uh, because it was just before Sweet Tooth Show. So it was right at the end of October. And we were just... Yes, we weren't sure if it was going to be... Actually be able to have an opening or not and then it was like a, a week or two a week before it i think or two weeks before it that we had to um suddenly swing around and make it into a live stream yeah, yeah.
1: but it was kind of mind monkeys idea we as well and, like internet me,
2: before it or yes
1: it was just um <laughs> it was really magic you know and i think that we decided we decided that then we could create the canvases in front of the people and they could see it happening and then have the option to buy it as well and then because it was locked down we got groove rider mm-hmm. and we had when I mean, when we were connected with them that was totally by chance and we asked them oh does he want a live stream from home and um, the lady who um, facilitated this for us said no he wants to come and be in the gallery and be part of it because he couldn't bear being at home he was so over it you know DJs really had nowhere to go nowhere to play yeah. And, um, I mean, yeah, that happened, you know, one cold night in November. Yeah. November. Everything November just happens. That
2: organic happens, yeah. you know? Yeah. It happened to the, His DJ booth that we set up, it was an artist. He had sent over crated work. We looked at that in the... Um, Groove Rider needs a is set up. are like, right, let's take this and let's okay. build a stage. Let's build a, uh, yeah. a, a booth for you out of this uh, out of this crate, yeah. which then became the Christmas tree. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we got the tailor off the back to um, to stitch like a massive white screen for us out of fabric. I don't even know where we got the fabric. He turned that around in a couple of hours. So we had, a, you know, cause there were projections behind Groove Rider, Everything was... Um, yeah, I mean, even so, it, w- it didn't go without a hitch because um, we had some technical difficulties. that led us to be twenty minutes late, and um, I couldn't bear it. I was um, I was watching the viewers all log on, and it was just an empty empty screen. You know, I mean, it wasn't. It was it was fairly stressful. Groove rider was looking at us like, mm, you know, like amateurs, but we got there in the end. <laughs> 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 yeah, and it was actually a cracking night, wasn't it? It's yeah.
0: Wicked.
2: Yeah. It's quite it's quite funny because the previous live stream that we did that we had right in the beginning of lockdown June, where it was uh, yeah. there was my mate in South Africa who I'm just trying to think how it all came came about. You did part,
1: right? He did the tech part he did
2: the tech yeah. part. We had put a shout out on Facebook for somebody to do something somebody tech minded. My mate that I grew up with had answered, thinking that it was just like sorting out a router kind of problem, you know? He's super, super clever. We told, we explained, like, we want to do this live stream. He knew nothing about live streaming, zero. None of us knew anything about Mm -hmm. live streaming. He taught himself within a week. Two weeks later, we had the live stream, which went off without a hitch. We were all, the artists were all over the world, obviously. Yeah, And they were using twitch on their phones somebody would be helping them with twitch on their phones doing it there was um josh was here joshua josh was in hackney donovan was in cape town dj was on a rooftop in mile End. we were in mile End. yes and this all went through seamlessly on this phone not having known like two weeks before seamlessly there wasn't a hitch at all all the way through right so many moving parts so many moving yeah. parts and then when it was in-house where we had somebody the professional filming like we had so much and we'd had um, sound checks and everything before then we had, then we a had technical issues. <laughs> go figure, go figure. <laughs>
0: Yeah I suppose as well like part of having a, a gallery as well as like you're doing show after show after show so or you're doing project after project so you do kind of constantly get that variation of people that you're working with but also that like start of a project, finish a project, a bit of a sense of achievement. And then kind of move on to the next one. Well, it's, it's even closer yeah. than that. Do you know what I mean? Some days it is. Some
2: shows there's three days in between taking down and putting uh-huh. up with the next show. So it it really rolls, and you've hardly even stopped this show before that show started.
1: Mm. But I mean, uh, in the sense then, what do you do next? You know, how do you how do you change it up? Yeah, is that what you referring
0: well, to? Well, kind of a little bit, but also you guys are quite ahead of the curve. Like behind me as well, I noticed when I came to the uh, the epod show which is up at the minute which is like amazing um i noticed a little sign that says we are happy to arrange payment plans on artworks and also accept crypto payments Yes, yes. the first time i've seen that anywhere like I, I, I know people must be doing it but that's the first time i've like seen a sign in like uh an environment like this saying that we are taking yes crypto payments so that's like pretty ahead of the curve and also maybe um the art world at the minute is kind of flooded with nfts as yeah. well is that something that you guys are kind of trading in as well or is or are you kind of ma- mostly stay into physical artwork with digital currency options
1: yeah well at the moment it's the it's the latter mm-hmm. we i mean we watched the nfts at the beginning um i think a lot of people did some people went you know headfirst into it very successful we Personally, I was just trying to see how it was all going to evolve. I think that it might change. Um, blockchain, um, you know, the benefits of blockchain might might move beyond the NFT. But I think that it's something that we, we wanted. To be honest, we didn't have the headspace last year mm. and the year before to even think about NFTs. We were trying to keep the... The, the program of shows that we had tried to schedule in we still try to keep that going but nfts is something that we're going to are, are something that we're going to explore in the summer yeah i think and and i think it's interesting it's a really interesting medium the applications of it are interesting but also when you know a lot of people that are coming to the gallery and young collectors as well they um some of them are creating their own NFTs. That's what they do as a business as well, they're working. I think one of them is working in collaboration with um, IMSA at the moment. Mm-hmm. And so for them, they, you know, cryptocurrency is very much part of their world and being able to facilitate sale of art because they can pay um, through a method that really suits them and is easy. Mm-hmm. I think is definitely something making,
2: making things easier for yeah. your guests, for your clients, know you what So it's, uh, taking away the barriers. That's what they want to pay with. Hell, uh, I, I will take that. Whatever it takes for us to be able to put artwork up on their walls, this is what we uh, this is what we do.
1: I mean, we also because to accept cryptocurrency means that you know, for yourself, you're not um, afraid of the volatility of the markets. You know, and um, you believe that it's going somewhere. And I think, may, I mean, this is very much your field more than mine, but I do think that we're living in as much as it seems like such a difficult and challenging time for the human race, you know we've got climate change, war, pandemic, everything's being thrown at us. We're also living in like a really crazy digital revolution, and I think it's really up to us to understand and get our heads around it. Um, just simply from a cultural perspective, and from and from the perspective of being a parent because this is the world that our children are going to grow up in and if we don't understand it and embrace it um, they're going to start off on the back foot if they grow up knowing about it because we're teaching them and we're learning at the same time I think um, it'll be advantageous to them you know and so this is kind of for us embracing this is important and and trying to unpick it.
0: Yeah, I think that's really um, admirable that you kind of got that foresight as well. And um, yeah, that you're kind of thinking about the next generation because maybe the previous generation to ours hasn't always maybe done that. And maybe that's kind of why we're in this mess that we're in. But um, yeah, just quickly touching on like parenthood, because your little guy is he's a part of the... Gallery family the and CEO. stuff as well. Isn't yeah. It? The CEO.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, what an amazing environment for him to grow up in, and it's kind of like it really is a family business, isn't it?
1: Yes, I mean, I think our son, I'm very creative. I've always been, um, and I'm not sure he's really got that creative streak, which is totally okay with me. Um, but he's definitely got personality and bucket loads, and. I think he really sees the gallery as a second home as well. When he when he steps through the door, it, you know, he loves the space. He loves hanging out here and takes
2: he um, off his shoes, yeah, takes <laughs> off his head and starts legging it around. You know, he knows his way around <laughs> yes. very much. He is super comfortable. It's not like you have to tell him to be careful of paintings. You know, he knows exactly what's. That's he's doing handy, and, isn't it? Yes.
1: But he loves um, he's slowly, just even this year, he's really, really starting to grieve with the artists. You know, he can see that they're different, he understands that they're from different places. He's met Stinkfish, he got on like a house on fire with them, Perishable Rush, um, he was giving Epot a load of grief when he was trying to paint his piece at the back of the gallery. Um, he he Grape tries to take him out in the street and, um, meet loads of the other artists sometimes he leaves them hanging you know there's nothing we can do about that like he just won't do a high five but
2: he's good I he's good he's good he, yeah, he enjoyed his time he, I took him down to Leak Street the other day he enjoyed his time in Leak Street yeah, yeah. You know, he started to identify little things you that's can, know.
1: yes Mighty Mo he, he definitely knows Mighty Mo he loves Mighty Mo yeah, I, yeah. Think he, I think I think he, whether he knows it or not, you know, he's 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 being embedded in a culture, and 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 he loves it. You know, it's really vibrant. I think it's a great place for him to hang out. How old is your little
0: one? My little one is six now, and it's kind of similar as well. When she was um, very young, we had the kind of gallery space, and obviously doing the workshops and things like that. She's kind of always in that environment and kind of seeing people painting and doing walls and stuff like yeah, that so yeah. she's um yeah and she she is very creative as well she's um she's a better illustrator than me already <laughs> um so yeah it's uh, it's really nice just to um just to see her kind of engaging with that world that um, I was speaking to Greg this morning, and um, we were just saying, like, you know, I grew up on the Isle of Wight, and it was um, back when I was growing it's, it's It's a lot better there now. We have the festivals and we have things going on. Um, but when I was growing up, it was a bit of a cultural wasteland. There wasn't really, um, there wasn't galleries, there wasn't. Um, gigs there wasn't a skate park there wasn't anything like that so we had to kind of get off the island to do those things so i think that um having a daughter who's growing up in london in east london in particular i can kind of see the the value in all these things now um, that that are so important for her to just have as something that's naturally around than something that she's going to have to kind of pick up and learn at a later date but you guys as well, you're both from South Africa, but different parts of South Africa, right? Yes. Um, and you, but you met in London?
1: Yes, yes. We didn't know each other in South Africa. We met in London. Greg is from Cape Town. I'm from Johannesburg. Um, they're very different parts of the country. They're two-hour flights apart. You know, it's really big, um, South Africa, but also totally different state of mind. Um, mm-hmm. From um, It's, I suppose, the difference between... Though I've never been to LA But the difference maybe between New York and LA You know, right. New York is business Um And LA is lifestyle You know, I think that that's Um, that's the note like Cape Town is very beautiful It's very European Johannesburg is a real Beast of a city Um, it's got a lot of energy A real hum about it It's actually really historically Interesting, my great grandmother Um Used to go around in a horse and cart through Joburg town collecting laundry. Um, I mean, you would never really believe that, you know. Um, pardon?
2: I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: she also used to get front row seats at the boxing match. A ninety year old woman, you know. Um, yeah, she was quite a character. So, I think, um, you know, they. But but I love Johannesburg. But it was a it was a challenging place to grow up. That's for sure. You know, I think it's really. In what way? Um, I think that. It's, you well, you know, with the the obvious history associated with South Africa. You know, we both grew up in the height of the apartheid, and that was something we weren't even aware of when we were growing up. And that's how strong the propaganda was, and I think that when later in life, when it came to being in high school and then um, I went to university, Greg went straight into work. I think that. South Africa is an amazing, vibrant place, but I didn't find it liberal enough, you know, and I think that a large part of South Africa, or certainly at that time, was coping, you know, and coping, we, we lived with an immense amount of stress, whether we knew it or not, you know, particularly when I was in, in high school, and I think that we, you know, coming from that environment, um, it either makes you seek out something that's more liberal or a different kind of lifestyle which is what a lot of South Africans did but a lot of my um, South African friends in London, I didn't know them in South Africa but we're um, we're all very like-minded, very strong, very opinionated, educated um, and very liberal and I think it was kind of seeking out that culture and that difference because we weren't getting that enrichment in South Africa Um, and I think it kind of made you tough and competitive because you had to be, it was it was almost like this, this desperation to have to do that and prove yourself. You know, South Africa is very kind of money driven as well. And to me, I, I don't know, I've, I felt like I needed, I needed to expand my boundaries and I moved to the UK. Um, and it's been a journey, but and, you know, it's been difficult because you will always, Have a kind of, um, you you know, a shift of a sense of home because the place that you've come from doesn't really exist the way you remember it. And the place, you're always slightly different than the place that you live in. But this is why I find London such a a special city because there is something called a Londoner, you know. Um, We aren't English, we're South Africans. Mm -hmm. I think against all odds and not being from england we've we've opened a gallery that i feel like embraces a load of street art culture that we've come to learn and love and i think that's the like the organic beauty of london and as a touching back on being a parent you know i question all the time whether it's is it a good thing to stay in london is it bad is it but i think ultimately it's good because you want to you want to raise an engaged little human, don't you? You know, um, it's good that they have a positive sense of childhood and freedom, but also to really have their eyes open to how the world is, you know, and not how you were taught for it to be. There's still loads of labels I feel as a South African that I live with daily, and that's just because that's how we were taught when we were growing up. Mm. I'm still digesting it. Yeah, I, don't it think I don't think it'll ever get easier, really.
0: No, it sounds no. very, um, like, confusing and, yes. and kind of, yeah, very stressful, like you said, as well.
1: Yes, yes, it's super stressful. You know, something I, I Do think you was... feel the
0: same, Greg, in that sense? With Axel growing up in London.
1: Or, being or in just being
0: a South African in, in London or just your kind of heritage
2: as well? Not, not as much. When I came across, I came across in my, in my very early 20s, I think I was 21 when I came across, and I, I hadn't imagined that I was going to stay over here. A friend of my best friend was living between Cape Town and London, and I always would hear what's going on in London, and when I came across, I came across to, I wanted to listen to Massive Attack. play a a gig, I wanted to go to the Whirly gig, you know, things like this, things that like, oh, I want to go I want to go to to London and party you know, Um, I imagined that I would come into London, stay a bit in London then go across Europe, do a little bit of a European, I mean I only had a a two-year visa at that stage um, and then go back to South Africa, you know, I hadn't imagined that 22 years later that I'd still, 24 years later that I'd still be here um, and then I love London. I, I I couldn't I couldn't leave it. Uh, yeah. well, Cape, Town is a beautiful
1: life. Cape
2: Cape Town has been my it is my home. It was an amazing place to grow up. I will I will always cherish having grown up in Cape Town because it was really a free, easy, beautiful city to grow up. I would have hated to have grown up in London, absolutely chalk and cheese. I would have hated to have grown up in, in Joburg. Um, Cape Town was just that right balance for me. And then, I mean, I, I wouldn't like to live in Cape Town now, but for youth growing up, it was perfect. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like I... You don't have a yearning to, do, to go back. I don't back have anymore. a yearning to go back. Is you? <sighs> yeah,
0: you guys are you know,
2: practically Londoners now, aren't you? Yes, I mean, yeah. you, you get used to being in a first world city. You get used to things, wo- I mean, it's getting worse now. <laughs> but you get used to things working. You, know, you get used to just the simple things that you take for granted over here. Wi-Fi, um, yeah. ba- basic human need. Like in South Africa, 10 years you'd be on dial-up. You know, like literally, like yeah. these kind of things, like public transport. Yeah. South Africa, you wouldn't take public transport. Mm-hmm. You know, here you wouldn't dream of not taking public transport. Well, the
1: so postal service is not great in South Africa. You I know, mean, there's so <laughs> there's many no things that you words. get used to over here. It's like, okay, yeah. this
2: is
0: this is normal life. I, c- I couldn't go back to. In a lot of ways, you have to, because I was sort of splitting my time between London and Lisbon as well. And as much as I love Lisbon and I love Portugal and I love the culture there, you do realise that as soon as you get out of London, a lot of places do feel like a small village like compared to <laughs> oh, when you feel yes. like services and stuff like that. Um, but you just kind of touched on then that like um, maybe things aren't getting better anymore or things kind of are getting worse. Is that... Um, because I, I know I've spoken to you before about the effect that um, the Brexit has had on the gallery, things like that, but also things like um, gentrification in the area as well. Um, maybe with the gentrification, there's kind of a positive side for you because there's more people moving into the area that have the money to spend on luxury items like artwork to put in their living rooms and stuff yeah. like that. So maybe on that side of it, you're kind of on that on that cusp where you see the positives and the negatives of it. But um, yeah, what... What do you feel about those those sort of things? I'm going to let Bre- Greg just mention Brexit and how that's affected the gallery. And this isn't like a, a cuss on the whole Brexit thing whatsoever. It's just um, it, it's nice to hear how that is affecting people on on the ground. You know, a few years later yeah, for
2: for Brexit, <clears throat> as much as, so as I deal with the shipping and logistics, um, Brexit directly affects this job that i do in i spend so much more time dealing with paperwork that i mean i i knew what i was doing i know what i'm doing because i've shipped to the states for many years where all this paperwork was necessary but now there's so much more chance that shipments might be returned shipments might be delayed when you're doing exactly the same thing as you've always done just it's difficulty there's blocks you know and then I'll end up spending maybe 10 or 15 hours on something that would have taken me an hour but I'm not gonna it's not like I'm making any money for those 15 hours I'm just dealing with bureaucracy and just yeah. rubbish bureaucracy
0: so you're, um, so you're basically um, it's kind of added stress for no added stress for, for no, no, for, for for no return. financial return on right. it you know yeah. Um
2: Obviously, in terms of sales, the European market suffers. The American market is still strong. That still keeps on going as it was. But the European market now, people are getting stung with their, with their charges. You know, so they are less likely to be buying from England
0: rather than buy on the, on the continent. Yeah.
2: Which really affects our, uh, our bottom line.
0: Yeah, for sure. And what about the... Um what about the sort of impact of gentrification around East London because you're kind of a little bit you're in Dalston and Dalston is a is a great spot um you're kind of just out of that main kind of Shoreditch epicenter where the where the big change is kind of accelerated mm. out here um do you kind of feel any of that at all with like rising rents or do you feel like there's there's that kind of threat to you because because when we're down in that area you're always looking over your shoulder for the for either the space that you're in to get Developed and you get kicked out, or for your rent to go up to a point that you can't afford it anymore. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think that will be a reality for us, you know. Um, And there's not really all that much you can do about it. It, it, It's kind of a double edged sword gentrification. Mm -hmm. Um, So, we are as a gallery and where we started in a basement is very much about underground culture. A lot of the artists that we deal with, Um, Edwin, for example, um, his work is about. how communities have been changed and forced to change so fast, particularly Hackney Wick, by gentrification. So we're trying to bring a bit of a platform to that um, when we show his work, um, but also the benefits of being an art gallery in an area that is changing and gentrifying also helps. So it's very difficult to kind of toe the line or walk that line Mm -hmm. um, between still being... Relevance and um, a real and honest voice about it, but also being able to sustain ourselves and then being able to show the artists that we show and give them a platform by virtue of being in more of an affluent neighborhood. And if you offer an artist a show on, um, you know, Bond Streets or somewhere in central London, you know. and you offer them one in Dalston, there is definitely the perception that the one in central London or, you know, the busiest roads in town, the most affluent, you know, um, what's that one? Barclay Square, you know. Um, If you offer them a show there, you know, that area is not gentrified. It's it's way beyond that. So, you know, there is always the perception of status when it comes to a a gallery. Um, And... It's something that we're still navigating. You know, I, I think it would be interesting to explore um, almost moving, doing external projects with the gallery. So the gallery continues to work as it does and represent what it does, but kind of take the gallery to different parts of Europe as well as different parts of London and see how the response is and how it changes and diversify the audience through here. Um, that also I supposed to just bring our flavor to those spaces and see if, the different parts of London react differently to what it is that we do here. Ultimately, Dalston will be gentrified eventually, you know, it's like, like, properly cleaned up. You only need to walk down Broadway Market to see that. It's totally different from how it was. Um, But then again, Dalston is still a little bit of a The last stronghold. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Walk down Ridley Road. Yeah. (laughs) Certification seems a far way away.
1: It's amazing Ridley Road. You know how how African it is. That road. You know, and I mean, you're in the middle of this this thriving city, and something like that is still alive and vibrant, and the communities that are associated with it are still there. And and long long may they still be there. And that's what I actually still really love about Dawson. It's not quite as Mainstream, even though we're kind of stuck between Islington and Shoreditch, you know, I think that it's still very, very. It's a, a, a really, really interesting place to have a business and to come every day. You know, um, in some ways, it reminds me a little bit of South Africa. Nice. Yes. You know? Yeah. You know, and and I mean it with fondness. You That's know, great. like um, that that complete diversity of people that you see outside. Yeah. And I think you know we we got some funding in 2020 from the Arts Council. They had really helped us navigate the pandemic. The major criteria, really, to be able to get funding is that you have to prove to them that you're a cultural institution of significance in the area in which you operate and why is it necessary to keep you going. And I really think that that was a vote of confidence for us, you know, that they acknowledged it, they could see it. The Hackney Council and the Arts Council, and they've kept us going. And, um, I mean, for us, I think that's given us a bit of a boost, you know? Yeah, because congrats on
0: that, because that's not an easy thing to, to do and to get. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Still got yeah,
1: to see from them. the experience. <laughs> but it kind of
0: gives you that little bit, because, you know, running a business, it's not always easy. Like the, You do the shows and things like that, but the, the day-to-day, it can be a slog. And then just yeah. to have that little bit of boost of confidence and someone say, do you know what? Yeah, you're doing it. Yes. Well, you're doing it right. Yes. Um, just on that note, actually, just before we get into the last few bits, I was, I was just going to say, actually, you've been, you've, you seem like you're, you're very attuned to the business that you run. You've got a really good grip and understanding of who you are, what you do, and how to do it. And um, what advice would you have for anyone else that wanted to set up their own business?
1: I think for us, it was at the beginning, really, it was sheer instincts that was all that was driving us yes. and that
2: believe in yourself believe yes. in those instincts because a lot of the time, most of the time those instincts are true yes are right.
1: and i mean what was underneath that was passion and it was just being kind of it was directing everything that we did and as difficult as everything got and how many times we questioned why was it that we were doing what we were doing I think that just continued to push us forward, you know, that, you know that, that passion and, you know, feeling relevant in what we were doing was relevant. Um, I think it has to start there, you know. Um, and then I think it's very important to figure out, yeah, who who you, what you want to be as a business, um, who you're trying to attract as well, it took us a long time to think this way. Um, you know, um, the value proposition, proposition, yeah. I mean, it's so like it's so boring, all of this stuff. But to be honest, we didn't think about any of this stuff the first few years. We just went, we just went like with pure heart and soul, everything. And and so many of the mistakes we made was because we had absolutely no idea of the business end of things, how to plan, um, you know, just how to put agreements in place, how to just formalize things.
2: Laura's always worked for herself, but not in a business that you'd really need so much paperwork yes. for your business. I've always run restaurants, but I've always been a floor manager where I've never really had to deal with the back of house stuff. They've just said, right, you take care of the staff, take care of the customers, we'll take care of all the nuts and bolts, you know? Yeah. Okay. So we didn't have that knowledge. You know, we were just doing the best that we could do yeah. you know, for just forging relationships, yes. creating the energy, creating that buzz, and yeah.
1: I think a lot of it, a lot of it is about relationships and people helping you, um, and you having the humility to be able to ask for help if you don't understand something. I think that's important. you know you always have to learn and grow, and then I think the ability to look at something and see whether it's working or it isn't working. And, and starting a business, you know, I look at it now and, and it's, it's a, it's a creative pursuit. You know, you ha- you bring something into fruition that did not exist before. It was just an idea, yeah. just a concept. And just as you do, I suppose, an artist look at a blank canvas and then put something there that wasn't there before that you brought out of the ether. It's the same thing. You try different paints You try different things and you see what works and what doesn't work and what responds. And um, I think it's okay. You need to be okay with failing, you know, and pick yourself up and go, actually, I did do the best that I could in this scenario. It isn't my fault, you know, um, and learn from it and carry on and not be broken about, you know, by that. You never, ever... You can you can feel on top of your game, come into the gallery, everything's going well, you know, we're doing a show, it was amazingly attended, walk in, this is a true story, the roof is falling down. Like <laughs> this is you know, and so like one minute you're up, next minute you're down, and then you'll get some so shipment that's has returned from be up
2: and down. Yeah,
1: You never know, you know, like it, it's yeah. always but but that's just you you can't live your life just waiting for the point where you're just cruising and none of that's going to happen. You have to live your life being okay with these ha- things happening and then just being able to kind of find a way through or around them. Um, yeah. I think that's a, an important thing, you know, for us to have learned. Like, if you I, never. I
0: agree with all, all yeah. of that for sure. Yeah. I mean,
1: it's life, you know, you're never going to get to this, like, okay, I'm done, I'm made, I'm comfortable, you know, yeah. you just.
0: Yeah. so and Appreciate by the way i mean
1: i really wish like we you know it'd be really nice to have a bsmt league in, in portugal yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe we should collaborate oh that.
0: for sure that'd be yeah. amazing um actually i know this is like a really difficult one as well because you've done like what 52 shows or something now but but what, what have been like the real highlights the real standouts is that like too difficult a question to ask because, like, they've all got their own sort of feel and flavor. And there's you there's, there's a lot of different, different ones.
2: I, like, I can remember Fanakapan standing
0: out yes. because yeah. I, was, I was still He's work- someone we'd like to get on the podcast, actually. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, sorry. Yeah, I was still
2: working in the restaurants back then. Um, and when was that? That was 2016. I think it was.
1: Yeah.
2: It was our second year of running, and I was working so hard on the show, so, so stupidly hard. I can remember that when we had finished the opening night and we went back to our flat. We were living on Haggerston Canal, and I remember looking out over the canal. and just burst into tears, and I was just like... Because for that moment, it's like, oh my God, I've got nothing to do. I've got nothing that's pressing for me to do. Because for, for like months, every second, I would wake up, boom, straight into it, all the way through to like three in the morning, working, 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 so solidly, like every moment of the day was consumed with making the show the best that we could do. And then suddenly when it was like, oh my God, there's actually like, obviously I've got stuff to do, but I don't have to do it like at, a, at a frantic pace, you know? It was like, huh. So that was, that was one show that really holds true to my, to my heart. I and then no, that's where we
1: really lift off as a gallery. You know, I really felt like, wow, this is a show, an art show. This is really cool work. He was, he's a brilliant artist. No Do you feel that
0: films. was maybe the point that his career started to lift off a little bit as well? Or? I
1: think it was tipping just before, but we did yeah. his first solo show. And um, it was like, it, you know, the audience response was, the writing was on the wall there, people loved it, you know. Um, so I think, I, I, there was such a buzz about that night. It, it, it was really, and, and you know, what it symbolised for us is a space as well, I think. And just like... Feeling successful, you know, and feeling like, wow, this is really. We I think, did it. Other uh, shows, yeah. maybe
2: the I mean, uh, East East uh, Eastern Rock. Eastern really, also was a, was a classic yeah. one.
1: Because that really brought together a real authentic collection of um, artists who were painting, you know, the Burning Candy crew, and who'd been part of Shortage around um, 29, 2010, 2011. It, it just really changed the whole, it changed the momentum of the gallery and the artists that we work with. And it's something that actually we really, really love, you know, We're like I have glimmer, like small little memories of how Shortage was around that time. But I think it's such a unique period in time, you know, in, in the history of London really. And I think it needs to kind of be documented a little bit more. Um, because it's super interesting and that that show was a lot of fun that also changed the momentum of the gallery in dystopia yes it was
2: dystopia a was a great room because that was the reopening of this space
1: yeah
2: and yeah. it was absolutely rammed that show and it was a it was an interesting show to put together as well
1: we did um it was it was around climate change and this was in 2019 so all of a sudden it was like the veil had been lifted from everybody's eyes, like this this is actually a real problem. This isn't, we're cruising towards something that's serious with our blinkers on, you know? And I felt like it just, there was, there was a zeitgeist in, in the news, in the community, and, and we kind of channeled that at exactly the same time. And we had climate change talks in the gallery at the same time. There was, some of them were organized by Extinction Rebellion, another one by a climate change professional that we had here. A lot of them were really about just delivering the facts and how to approach it, you know. But um, it was, you know, that, that felt... Um, yeah, it was definitely, it was a, like a physical change and a psychological change for the gallery as well, doing things that were quite meaningful. I think the live stream for me was one of the, yes. the first live stream, the one that was done strictly on the phones. You know, that was definitely a highlight um, because we were just sitting at home and this whole thing came together with the use of a mobile phone and some friends, you know, and and it went on for six hours. The live stream was five hours, and then we had um, another friend who was a DJ do the sixth hour, but people, our friends all over the world could actually watch it and attend the show and be part of it. And what, what we tried to do with that was bring the humans back to, you know, like the part that we love about street art, which was watching people paint.
2: Um, and I think also that one was so special because it was people that you would never watch paint. You, yes, would, you wouldn't true, get that you opportunity mentioned. to be watching Sweet Tooth. You wouldn't yeah, see necessarily sure. yeah. rowdy or discreet or mighty Mo painting on the streets, you yes. know? Because these were things that were done in more clandestine time. They would be at the dead of night, you know?
1: Yes. Uh, Malaco, he managed to find a buddy that found like a locker outside, of their, outside well, of their jurisdiction because they were very strict in Spain. He had to go outside of his jurisdiction. They went on the. He painted the inside of a shutter, not the outside. So he went in, closed the shutter behind him, and then they switched on a car and they used the headlights so that he was able to paint. And his piece was about um, the rent rises, yeah, in Spain. Mm. But I mean, that was just people had to find a way, you this know?
0: Good quantity, yeah,
1: yeah, really was.
0: Amazing. Yes. Yeah. What? How amazing when something like that when you can pull something like that together, eh?
1: Yeah. yeah but it was just their willingness they, you know, that they were like okay cool we're going to do this
0: I think if you've got a good concept you yeah. can get people on board with it yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that's the thing as well and like you said you've, you've kind of had legends of the scene um, as part of your journey but that's I think because you're providing a platform that they can get on board with and they can believe in yeah. and that's kind of testament to you guys and to the amazing artists as well that, that have come through this space um, before we finish up the suits guys
1: yeah i
0: knew you were gonna ask i I, I almost forgot actually i almost forgot but for those of you who don't know we're going to post a photo of this um uh of this podcast with linking it on our instagram we'll probably post a photo of the suits because i absolutely love it and it kind of to me it embodies like um it embodies like you and your enthusiasm for being a part of this project it like brings everything together and it's kind of like this is who we are and what we do and i think it's brilliant so it's like um jumpsuits with the basement space logo all over it how did that come about was that like your idea or was it with someone else that was
2: uh lara's idea i think it was when we were doing skeleton cardboard show
0: yeah
2: his solo and we needed something to make an impact and it was like a few days before the show
1: Maybe, maybe
2: even, maybe like a maximum of a week before the show yeah. that this idea came around. And we asked our screen printers to, we were like, what can we do? What can we do? And then we, you asked, we went straight to we asked our screen printers, um, hippo screen printers, Lynn. And she turned around, she started to screen print the, lay, the logo. And then eventually, what did she do? Then she got transfers. Yeah,
1: she basically did whatever she could to to, (laughs) to get them over the line. But the the real motivation for us was Gilbert and George come in, they eat the, I don't know, I haven't seen them a long time, but everybody knows, they come and eat in Dalston, same time, eight o'clock, they're standing at the same traffic light, which was directly outside the old gallery space. We could see them, we could time it, we could time the seasons by us. they would cross the road and go into the Mangala Cross and then they cab it, I think, back to Shoreditch. This was pre pandemic. And I said to Greg, if we're going to hang out in Shoreditch all the time, in Dolson all the time, we may as well be like Gilbert and George and just wear the same suit all the time, and go up and down, and eventually people will start to know and recognize the gallery and it's part of the space. I showed Greg a mock up and he said, nah, uh, no thanks. I'm not wearing this. This is the real truth, this. Yeah. And then, he said, Maybe I'll just have one logo on the back, we'll see. And then Limp with these things together. He put it on and Greg never takes it off now. He's he actually got holes in it, you know. We need we need to we need to mm-hmm. evolve the concept, yeah, because people stop us on the street. They don't even know what it means. And they say, Hey, can I buy one of those? You know, where can I get that? all the time they tell us at every single opening. So to to see, really bring yeah. a
2: chuckle to me to see
0: other people Wearing that, it yes. really would. Yeah, imagine up. people turning up to an opening and it's oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Work work on, yes. on, it, it could, could happen. Yeah.
1: We, I mean, we were putting them into production, and then this literally, like, a lot of things um stopped because of the pandemic. But it, I mean, we get asked so many times; it's just we have to change it. You know, we're thinking about like. You know, like uh, karate, where you get different colour belts. Yeah. <laughs> so you get different you different tiers of jumpsuit. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Start the little boy off in a little white one. Yeah, it's yeah, yellow, yeah. Red. And yeah. then
1: work your way up, you know, it's like as well as how many shows have you attended? right. You get the gold. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh,
0: so... Amazing. Guys, do you know what? This has been such a pleasure. I've, um, I've had a really lovely time, yes, as likewise. always, chatting yeah. to you guys. And um, as always, you've been... The perfect hosts and I really appreciate you coming on and doing this. Thanks so much. Well,
1: thank you for, thank you, enthusiasm. Thank you for your enthusiasm. you're interested in what it yeah. is that we do here. Yeah, We're man. always at the shows. You're always bringing the vibes. Thank you.
0: Viva Basement yeah. and, uh, and, and Viva you guys. <laughs> here I hope you go. long long may continue. <laughs>
1: thank you. Thanks, Thanks thank you,
0: Matt. Cheers guys. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I really enjoyed speaking to Greg and Lara. They're really inspirational people. Now, they've got some amazing shows in the pipeline. So if you don't already, then go follow them on Instagram for the latest news. And as ever, we'll put all the info on our Instagram post for this episode. Don't forget to go and subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcast from so that you can see the latest episodes drop. But honestly, we've got some amazing guests coming up. You've been listening to the Alternative London podcast with me, Gary Means, and edited by Stu Bangle.